Good morning. Are you? If I've got a crooked smile, it's because I've got stitches in my lip. I'm trying to smile. I'm smiling on the inside. Give me your inner smile. Come on, keep on smiling. So I was surfing Harold's Bay about two weeks ago, and the wind came, and it flipped my surfboard, and the fin stabbed me through my lip, through the inside of my lip, into my gum. I almost lost my teeth. Almost lost the two front ones. And so uh, if, I, if my smile looks crooked, it's not because I am. It's just because I've still got the stitches in, and I've got to get them out still. Wonderful to be with you guys. Just amazing how God is just moving in and through you. And I want to speak about the gospel this morning. And I want to speak about the impact of the gospel on us and what really is the gospel. And if we get the gospel wrong, what happens to us and uh, what can happen to our churches. And so, um, kind of like the context and what happened here this morning is jumbled a little bit around the way that I wanted to share it. And so, would you just extend a little bit of grace to me if I run maybe into a dead end here or a dead end there? Would that be all right? But the essence of what I want to say to us this morning is, is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that you are now new creations. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are not a baby. You are not an innocent human that is born when you come into Christ. You are a new creation. You are something different to what you were before. You are no longer a smoky diesel engine. You are now a turboed petrol engine. The word there is kainos. It's not new, newnos. It's not a baby. It's not innocent. And therefore, when we become in Christ... We are born again, but we're not born again like we were in the old, just made better. But you've actually now become something new, something different. And I think the key of Christianity is to figure out, what am I now? In this new nature, I'm going to use a big word, you are ontologically different. You are a new being. When those first people responded on the day of Pentecost... There was a new creation that was born on the earth, something that had never been seen before. And the angels marveled, and we still look the same on the outside, but we are different. We have got different abilities and capabilities. We have been made different. And as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so if we don't realize what we are, then we will just continue being what we were. And a lot of what we spoke about this morning is, is sometimes when we battle with this concept of the Holy Spirit, with hearing God's voice, being vessels for Him, having our hearts open up, being a temple of the Lord, having the river of living life flow from me, and proceeding out of that health and healing and evangelism and the gifts and the power of God manifesting through us, is because we do not understand what we are now. And these things happen with us. Not because we are great, but because He was great, and He is great, and He is the one that is now living inside of our hearts. And that's why we are able to do these things. So what are some of the new abilities that we have as a Christian? Well, you can say no to sin, but that's just like, you can love God, you can forgive 
You can hear Him. See, that's a new ability. Where before you had physical ears, and maybe you could listen to the Word, the logic, the written Word of God. Now you've got spiritual ears. And the Logos, which is great, there's nothing wrong with the Logos, but the Logos can become the Rhema. Because you've got a new ability, because now you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you that helps you to interpret what the Word of God actually means. And so in each and every situation, when we're reading the Word of God or when the Spirit speaks to us, we've got spiritual ears that we hear. And we can keep in step with the Spirit. And when we keep in step with the Spirit, we are called sons and daughters of the living God. And so now we don't seek our will any longer. We seek His will. But why is that? It's because we've become, we've become different. And so as a Christian, we should focus on what? We should focus on being good and sinless? Or should we focus on listening and allowing the river of God to flow inside of my heart? You see, this is the mystery of godliness that's spoken about in 1 Timothy 3.16. The mystery is, is that God was spirit became flesh. The mystery for us is that us who was flesh is now becoming spirit. Because now we have access to the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now the power that lives inside of our hearts. But you are helpless to become holy and righteous and good in His sight in your own ability because in your flesh you can do nothing. But if you allow the Spirit to operate in you, you become powerful. And so what is this? Can we have maybe the second? Sorry, I'm, are you guys with me? That gave me 20 minutes. What's the next verse? Verse 18. Sorry, I, it's a difficult to find. Eh? Put on 18 and 19 as well. Sorry, I wasn't planning on going here. But we just, you guys just, just follow me. Maybe a little story. There were two prawns. Find 18, 19, and 20, eh? There were two prawns. True story. Justin and Christian. And they lived on a reef. You know, if you're a prawn, you're kind of like a little bit vulnerable. And so they were always afraid of the fish and of the sharks and kind of hiding and going out of that little hole and eating and then coming back into the hole. And they were kind of getting sick of this. So one day, they said to themselves, we wish, we wish we were sharks. And poof, cod appears. And cod says to them, I'll grant you one wish. And Justin's like, I'll take that wish. I want to be a shark. And so God says, your wish is granted. Poof. And Justin turns into a shark. And Christian's like, ah, he's going to eat me. And he like scuttles off into his hole. And, and Justin starts swimming around and he's all powerful and he's cruising the ocean. But everywhere he comes, all his friends, just his old friends just ignore him and no one wants to be with him because he's a dangerous shark now. And so after a couple of months, this becomes lonely. And he's swimming around all by himself. And one day he says to himself, you know what, that was a bad choice. You see how I'm swimming. 
And he starts looking for cod. And one day he finds cod. He says, cod, you know what? When I made that wish, that was a bad wish that I made. Can you please undo the wish? God says, right, all right. Only this one time. So, poof. Justin turns back into a prawn. He swims excitedly to Christian's hole. He said, Christian, Christian, I'm here. Come out. I'm your friend. And just, uh, Christian goes, no, you're a shark. You're just going to eat me. And Justin goes, no, Christian, I found cod. And I'm a prawn again, Christian. <laughs> All right, let's go eat something and go home. <laughs> you guys get it? I found God. I'm a born again Christian. And this is actually what we're talking about because God changes our natures. We're no longer sharks, but we're prawns. And we can live because God puts the lonely into family. And the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And so, <laughs> the pastor can turn anything into a preach. <laughs> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The oldest passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. This is the essence of what we are. You know, you guys are going into two congregations. I was just thinking the Church of Christ is so dynamic. Chad was in my bed when I first saw him. <laughs> we were one congregation, and I'd gone away for the weekend, and Chad had moved from somewhere in the north, and he was joining Josh Jane. And when I got home, there Chad was in my bed. And so that's how I met Chad. You see, and then Chad planted. He took over Mosul Bay, which Dion and Kim had planted. And Dion and Kim went to Cape Town. And Nikki, who I was in the commune with, and he'll deny this for years. Eventually, I couldn't stand it. Because you know the thing we pray, what's in my fridge is in yours, and what's in your fridge is in mine? In that house, it didn't work like that. Because what was in that fridge was everyone else's except mine. I used to be a pharmacist, and when, when I got home at 9 o'clock at night, after working a 13-hour shift, you open the fridge, and it's like... There's nothing, not even in the back corner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, anyway, why was I telling that? Is that Christ has reconciled us to Him. How can we say we love God if we don't love our neighbor? You know, around us here, there's so many people that sit here from different cultures maybe, maybe from different financial spaces, maybe from, I don't know, different languages. And the test of the gospel is often is the reconciliation that has taken place in a vertical sense. Is how is the reconciliation in a, in a horizontal sense? And so what we are is we are, the message that we carry is a message of reconciliation. It is bringing things that are apart together again in us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. 
That is Christ God who reconciled the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And then the next verse says that we are his ambassadors. And so when we say that we are new creations, one of the things that we are is that we are, we are carriers of this message of reconciliation. And we are ambassadors for him. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. So what is this message that we carry? I want to just take, now we're going to move very quickly. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul, after preaching in Philippi, being persecuted in Philippi, being thrown into jail, travels 100 miles to the next city, Thessalonica, and there he preaches the gospel for three weeks, or for three Sundays in the synagogue. And he ends up establishing a church there, and he moves on and he leaves Timothy behind. And so then he writes this portion of scripture to the Thessalonians. And in it, he actually, for the, this is his first letter, he, he explains to us what is this message of reconciliation. And there's a couple of portions to this that we need to understand. I'm going to focus in on one aspect of it. But there's a text, what he writes, what the gospel of, of reconciliation is, which has got four components. But then there's also a pretext, the attitude with which the gospel comes. There's a context in which the gospel comes into, and there's a post-text, what happens to us when we receive the gospel. But we're not going to talk about those. Today we're just talking about what is the message of reconciliation, what is the text. And this is what Paul writes here. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came, ginomai, was birthed in you. Not just came to you with word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And so there's four elements to the gospel. It's not just the word. It's not just the fact that we hear things and we listen to it and we change our minds about it. But it's also that the gospel comes to us with power. And that is that changing of our natures. The word there is dunamos. There's many words that get used for, for power in the New Testament. And we can, you can go into a study of it. One is archae, which has got a structural component. One is bia, which got an, got an oppressive component to it. One is energeia, which is the effect that, that the power has when it gets exerted. One is exousia, which is the authority which tells me what I can do and what I can't do. What are my rights to do things within the kingdom? One is kratos, which is used mostly just of God. It's kind of like when the crater explodes, you go like, wow, check out all that power. And one is ichtus, which speaks about the, the amount of power that we carry inside ourselves. But the word there is dunamos, which talks about power, but also talks about the ability to perform power. Because you are now supernatural. You are, as you're sitting there naturally, God has changed you to be a supernatural vessel for him. He has changed your very nature, which we already spoke about earlier. Oh, it feels to me like I'm running into a dead end. I'm so sorry. Is it good? So how do we... How do we view ourselves? Because if we focus too much on the word... We become legalistic, and we become rule-based, and we become moralistic. But you do need the word, but you also need the power. And so a good example would be the Pharisees. And Jesus often differed with the Pharisees on, on the traditions of man, right? You guys know that. So the Pharisees would come to him and say, listen, your disciples aren't washing their hands. Why don't they follow the tradition of the elders? 
And so there's a bit of a history there, and I'm going to give you a quick history lesson. It's my f- this isn't changing. How long have I been going? 13 minutes. Thank you, my love. So a quick history lesson of what happened with Israel. Because if you get it wrong, we're not preaching the right gospel. So you guys all know that the Israelites went into captivity because they didn't follow the laws of God. And so they were sent to Babylon for 80 years, and then Ezra came back. And then Ezra, they found the scrolls, and the scribes opened it up, and they taught the law of Moses to the people. All 613 of them. They were teaching them. But they were a little bit afraid because they went into exile. Why? Previously, because they didn't keep the laws that was given to them. And so the consequence of that was captivity and exile. And then a second generation of scribes came and they thought, you know what? If people aren't going to keep the speed limit, then what we're going to do is, is we're going to put up those speed humps. You know the speed hump? I hate them. What's the purpose of a speed hump? It's to cause you to not break the law, which is 60. And so the scribes then, and they went and they made a secondary law to prevent you from breaking the primary law. So there were 613 laws given by Moses, and now the scribes started making more, more laws. They, they called this pulpa logic. It was sharp like pepper. And the point of it was so that you, before you're breaking the law that God said there, that you will break this law, and then you'll realize you're doing something wrong, and you won't break that law. Because the consequence of breaking the law is so severe. We don't want to go back into captivity. It makes sense, hey? It makes perfect sense. And initially, they still agreed that, you know, God's word is the authority, and this is kind of just the guideline. And then what happened was the Talmudin came in. Went from the scribes to the teachers. And then the teachers made laws around the laws that was talking about the laws of Moses. And so it got removed even one step further. And so the, and these are called the Talmud. Or, or the, they were made by the Talmudin. And the point of it was is to prevent us from breaking the law of Moses. But you see what happens when we live by law. Law creates law. It's like I have babies. And it doesn't help you to honor God. It actually just makes life very difficult. Because now you've got to memorize all these laws. You've got to live according to them. So, for example, they had laws around the Sabbath. So, you know that the law of Moses says that you shouldn't work on the Sabbath, Right? And so the laws of the Safrim and the Talmudin added 1,500 extra laws to the law that you can't work on the Sabbath. Think about 1,500 extra laws. It got so ridiculous that you couldn't walk through a field of wheat. Because just now, if you're walking through the field of wheat, your robe catches a, ker- a kernel of wheat and it pops out of grain. And as it drops to the ground... By accident, you step on it, and you take the, the, the kernel out of the husk, and you, you step it in the ground, and you break the husk. And so now you've broken all the laws around the laws, which is you've reaped, you've winnowed, you've grinded. The only thing that you haven't done is baked it and eaten it and put it in your mouth. And we sit here, and we think, this is ridiculous. Like, we're not like that, are we? 
But are we? You know, Jesus is your Lord. And we should listen to him on the inside of our heart as he leads us and guides us. And so, I'll give you an example. I see you guys are looking. I had this like bugbear and Josh Jen. What does the Bible say about dating? Avery, you can go click on that computer and you can go do a search. It says Zippo about dating. And so, there was a stage where Josh Jen grew, the spirit was moving, and then I started hearing this. No, 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 you can't date in Josh Jane. That's, that's wrong. That's a sin. Is it a sin? Does the Bible say it's a sin? No. But in wisdom, the Bible says younger men treat younger ladies as your sister. Are you going to... Well, you might... Your sister... But you're not going to, your sister. And so, <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like, that's what, you know, even the young kids are like, yeah. Like, even this, I loved what Chad did t- t- today. It's beautiful. It shows wisdom and leadership. Because you get sin and righteousness, you get wisdom and folly. I love what the leadership did with you guys. They said, hey guys, we feel God saying that we're going to plant another congregation. And they didn't pragmatically sit down and go A to J in the morning and K to Z in the evening. Now what they did is, is they said to you, because Jesus is your Lord, the Bible doesn't say to you, go to the evening or the morning congregation. He says, go, you go and ask the Holy Spirit where you must go. Because when he speaks to you, what do you have in your heart? You have faith. And when there's faith, actually the Bible says, anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Just quickly have a think about that. Let's just pause there. That's super wild. Anything. I'll give you the Greek there. Anything. You know, in, in, in primary school, you did these collections. Like, what's in this collection is not in that collection, and sometimes they overlap. Now, what's in the anything box? Everything's in the anything box. Meaning, she's like, if I don't have faith to brush my teeth, is that sin? Well, I think that's getting a little bit ridiculous, saying, God's your father, not your mother. Do I have to go ask God in the morning what I must wear? No, God's your father. Sometimes he might actually tell you what to wear. Yeah, I've had that. I've put on certain clothes and I was going to minister in a certain context and God said to me, no. Today I'm standing here barefoot. To some people that might be an offense. And so sometimes God will speak to me and say, no, Monet, wear your shoes. Sometimes God says to me, wear a knopi sample. The gospel is offensive enough. I don't have to help it. And so, but the thing is, is that it's not that God's wanting to control me and dress me. 
in a certain way, is that God doesn't want the gospel to be hindered. And so the question to us here this morning, coming out of the prophetic word is, is like, are our spiritual ears attuned to the Lord in everything that we do? Now, I don't want you to be paralyzed and become schizophrenic and, you know, if you don't hear the little voice, then you do nothing. But we should have a heart attitude of being pleasing to Him. You know, often as a pastor, you get asked the question, especially with the young married couples, how far can we go? Unmarried couples. As a married couple, you should go all the way. <laughs> Often. Let me just often. The Bible says, don't deprive one another, except for prayer. Now, don't every time your husband snuggles up, you start praying in tongues. <laughs> This is a holy moment. Yes, it is. <laughs> Even in that, we should be led by the Lord. I'm sorry. I'm like all distracted now. <laughs> How far can you go? Ask yourself this question. Not, what's the minimum I can get away with? Should I tithe 10% gross or net? Law. Well, yeah, I, we can go into it. Abram tithed 10%. Did he tithe after tax, before tax? No, should I even tithe? You know, the law's abolished. Christ fulfilled it in his flesh. I don't have to give 10%. Grace enables me to live to a higher standard. Yeah, I'll live to a higher standard. I'll give 1%. Is that a higher standard? But be led by the Spirit so that we'll give at least 10%. And not get stuck in, oh, here's the point. Sorry, I missed the point there for a moment. Don't ask yourself, what's the minimum I can get away with? Because that's law thinking. Ask yourself what is pleasing to the Lord. Because now you've been made the bride of Christ. You see, you're a new creation. It's not just that you can hear His voice, but it's also that you can be intimate with Him. And one day we'll be married to Him. And we'll consummate that marriage. What that will look like, and I, I don't know. What that means. But we should ask ourselves as Christians, in everything I do, in my business practices, in when I fill in my tax return, in the way that I love my wife, in the way that I raise my kids, what in this is pleasing to the Lord? It's a way better rule to live by than what is the minimum theological thing that I can get away with. And in doing that, we, we're cultivating a love relationship with Him because He responds to us. He lives inside of us. How many of you have felt the pleasure of the Father. I mean, you're obedient in something and you just, you just feel that. You feel the pleasure of the Father over you. It's a sign of faith. It's a sign that you're reborn. You've been made a new creation. And we've actually been made the temple of the Lord. And in Ezekiel 37, there's this picture of 
the river of God running from the temple, down the steps, running from the ark of the covenant where the presence of the Lord is under the curtain that separated us through that holy place, through the place of sacrifice, down the steps, down the steps that divided the Gentiles from coming into where the Jews were, flowing down, flowing down into the Achaba, into the eastern regions, flowing down into the Dead Sea. And wherever this river flows, the Bible says there's life. And the salty water becomes fresh because the Dead Sea is dead. So what the Holy Spirit does in us is as it flows out of the temple of my heart, Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you open, I will come in and fellowship with you. This is the mystery of the gospel, is to live a holy and righteous and consecrated and fruitful life before the Lord as we allow the Spirit to flow in our hearts and the fruits spring up. Peace and patience and kindness and goodness and, and benevolence and all the fruits. The fruits happen because the Spirit is there. The fruits don't happen because I make them happen. And so what do I focus on? Yes, you're not, you shouldn't sin. And yes, the pastor should help you to not sin. But the remedy to sin is, is not self-control. It's not willpower. The remedy to sin is the presence of the Lord. That is the gospel of reconciliation. That God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son to die for you so that you can have eternal life, actually perpetual life. Aeon. Life that starts now and springs up into eternity. It's not something that you'll only taste of in eternity. It's something that you start tasting now and you're living on. God has come to give us life. And that life in abundance. And so we focus on the river of God in our hearts. And as it flows, as He speaks to us, as it moves, it takes all the rubbish and it washes it out into the sea. And Greta Thunberg has a heart attack. Sorry. And with that, there's, there's evangelism, there's trees on the side of the river, there's fruit, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the, 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 the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations, there's healing, there's all these things that spring out of us as we allow. But how do you think of yourself? How do I as a Christian now think of myself? I think of myself as a gate. In my heart, there is a gate. And when I fellowship with the Lord, and His presence is with me, John 14, 17 says that God's going to give us the Holy Spirit, and He will be with us, He will be in us, and then Acts 1, 8 says He will be upon us. Where two or three are gathered together, there Jesus is with us. And in that place of faith, sometimes there's a, it, the well springs up from within us. And when your little stream and your little stream and your little stream and your little stream come together, what happens? It forms a raging torrent. That's why we do not neglect the gathering of the saints. Because when we come together and we bring our rivers together, and I want to say to you guys, you guys have tapped a well in George. How did it happen? Well, it happened one heart at a time. And I was standing here today and I was watching, and there's some of you here today that the Lord wants you to take another step. Because that river in Ezekiel says, some people are standing on the bank, some people are 
ankle deep, some people are knee deep, some people are hip deep, and some people are so deep in the river that they can't feet touch, doesn't touch anymore, and they're just swip, being swept around with the river. And it's okay because God is patient with you. He's going to take you step by step, but the point is, is that you move deeper into the river. So if you stood on the edge of the river and you're like, I don't know this river, I've never been in the water, I've, I grew up in a church, but I see something here, I'm I've tasted it. Mm, maybe I want this. You were unsaved. You're on the, now you've come into the church and you're like ankle deep and you're feeling it for the first time. You're going, this is great. I'm seeing what's happening here. It doesn't quite make sense to me. But the Holy Spirit is here. And the Holy Spirit, John 16, he's the one that convinces of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so there's something happening in your heart. And you go, today we ask, who wants to accept Jesus in his, into his heart? Is that a mental thing? Is that a thing of oh, the word? Or is that a thing of your heart? It's a thing of your heart. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. Because the Spirit is drawing you. You give your heart to Him. And boom. God moves you forward. And now you've been born again. You've been given the ability to experience the Lord. And to be quite honest, my experience hasn't been that I experienced God straight away. Yes, when I became saved, the burden of sin was lifted. And I was like, whoa, what was that? I mean, I had a Mack truck experience. You know what a Mack truck experience is? When you stand in the road and a Mack truck hits you, do you know about it? Do you look different? Yeah, you look different. I couldn't deny it. I gave my heart to Jesus on a mountain, and in an instant, I was different. I was a new creation. The burden of my sin was gone. I had all this life bubbling. I couldn't wipe the smile of my face. I must have looked like a smiling pawpaw. I could start hearing the Lord's voice. And then I kind of got stuck there for a while. Stuck in some old habits. Stuck in some old sinful patterns. I actually went to Varsity and for four years I completely backslid. I, I was worse off than, I was, than what I was before. But the Lord was faithful. And one day he spoke to me. He said, when I come back, otherwise you're going to die. I was like, that's serious. I'm going to listen to that. So I broke up with my girlfriend, I moved out, and I started pursuing him again, that relationship. And the Lord broke some stuff off my life, and then one day I got to a church called Josh Jen, and I grew up in a Dutch Reformed church, nothing wrong with the Dutch Reformed church, there are Christians there. I don't agree with the way that they view the Holy Spirit, but hey. And then we were in a meeting, and this guy, oh God, not Freddy Krueger, um, <laughs> Terry Kruger. <laughs> Freddy Kruger is a guy with the long nails. If you know who Freddy Kruger is, come here for deliverance afterwards. <laughs> Are you guys still all right? What's the time? 32 minutes. We're coming in for a landing. It's not an Andrew landing, eh? Okay, let's go. <laughs> And he got up. It was, I think it was my first or second time being. Andrew Plonner, Josh Jane. Sorry, I just want to correct something quickly. The congregations don't have vision for their congregations. Andrew has vision for Josh Jane. And that vision is a New Testament vision that God gave Andrew, planted the seed into his heart to build a New Testament church according to Acts 242 to 247. 
And so I'm not, I'm correcting, I'm correcting what Chad said because, so you just, it's important that we know this because where there's unity, God commands a blessing. Where there's two visions, there's division. Division. And so this dream of a church that would preach the message of the gospel, that would allow the, that the word, that would allow the power of the Spirit to operate, that would make space for the Holy Spirit. That's where we're at right now. That would make space for the Holy Spirit. That would make space for the Holy Spirit. That it's not just the Christianity based on logic and theology and systematic theology, but it's a, it's a, it's a Christianity that's based on experience. This is why I'm telling you the story. So that you may have full conviction. Not the conviction spoke about of in John 16, 14, where the Holy Spirit convicts the world, convinces them, Elecho. No, the conviction that you can be assured of what God has given you. It's a tautology. It's a full fullness of assurance. How do you have a full fullness of assurance? Well, when the gospel comes to you in word, in a changed life, in power, new abilities, and in the Holy Spirit, then you have a full assurance of your salvation. Then you know that you're chosen. Then you know that you're called as long as you remain. Because Jesus says, you will know them by their Bible studies. You will know them by how long they pray. Now you will know them by their fruit. Where was I? I was with Terry Kruger, not Freddie. And I was landing. Andrew's Lounge. And so Terry Kruger he stands up there. He says, hi, my name is Terry. I'm from the northern Natal. Hey, the Holy Spirit's here. And Milani just flops down. Julie, like, they start laughing and just experiencing the Holy Spirit. You guys have all heard this is that, eh? Andrew's preach. Where Andrew gave a great theological exposition of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. You know, God's powerful. Who agrees? I mean, He created everything that we see here by the power of His Word. He spoke it and it was. If you put your finger in the plug, not during <laughs> stage six. It's kind of like Russian roulette. You can put it in. You're not sure. <laughs> what happens to you? You have an experience. Not a pleasant one. So sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, your body has a physical reaction to it. And so Melania and Julia, has, and I'm from the Dutch Reformed Church. You don't see that there. Well, not in the one I was. We had great Dominies. I still like him. And so it's me from the Dutch Reformed Church. It's Werner from the Catholic Church. It's George Epinitos and John DeRoy. And we're like, what's going on here? We are never coming back to this church. And that kind of like went on for a while. And we left and we were standing in a little group. And Andrew came up afterwards. And we were like, and I thought, I'm never coming back. Never. This is a cult. These people are strange. They're freaks. <laughs> but something in their life, in those people's life, in Nikki and Milani and Julie, 
They, they had some, some life, some Zoe life, not Suke life, some Zoe life that I'd never seen before. I'd never seen it in other Christians. They had a real relationship with the Lord. When they prayed, they had faith. And God came through for them. And I was a Christian, but I wasn't a Christian like that. And so I decided I'm going to stay in the commune with Nikki. And I felt nothing. You know, they would feel and experience the Holy Spirit, and, and I was just nothing. And there was one time, and I desired it. Eh? The Bible says desire the gifts of the Spirit. I think you must also desire the Spirit. You must desire Him. When there's intimacy, what happens? Come, just, this is a general question. Fruitfulness. Out of intimacy come children. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you must allow Him to remain upon you. You see, we live in a temporal world of space and time and all these dimensions. And so when the Holy Spirit comes out of the heavenly dimension into the earthly dimension, we have to give space for the time to operate within us so that the Holy Spirit broods over us. Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit was brooding over the chaos of the deep, and God spoke, and there was. He brought order out of chaos. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes upon and you feel Him, whether it's peace in your heart or it's a warmness or your hands, I want to encourage you to remain in that space because the Holy Spirit is doing something with you. Whether He's changing you or impregnating you or breaking down something, it doesn't matter. You don't have to understand it with your head always. don't need to. Because the Holy Spirit is good. And if we who are evil will give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You see, your fear, because when you're knee deep in the water, that's when the river starts moving you. That's when the river starts tugging on you. How many of you have been in a raging river? It's scary. You have to move beyond your fear and step out into faith. And when the Spirit is there, remain in Him. Remain in His presence because He's doing something that's good for you. How many of you get drunk? It's just a quick pastoral one in there. I'm slipping it in. So I'm going to pray for two groups afterwards. The Freddy Krueger group and the drunk group. Okay, let me ask it like this. How many of you Used to get drunk. Yeah. At varsity, you got bush diving. And <laughs> stupid. Do you get drunk quickly? Who gets drunk from one beer? Who, who, <laughs> who gets drunk from two beers? Why is it that the Bible uses the analogy of being drunk in the Spirit? It uses it in Ephesians 4 and in Acts 1 when the Spirit's poured out. The Jews saw these guys and they said, no, man, they're drunk. And Peter says, no, man, the bones not here worry. Yeah, no fangagela. And then again in Ephesians, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so, and what Paul is trying to say there is not that you must get drunk. But Paul says is that when you remain under the presence of the Spirit, 
for a longer period of time, the effects of it start manifesting in you. And if you need healing, if you need reprogramming, if you need the fruits of the Spirit to manifest in your life, if you need more love because He's the Spirit of love, allow Him to be on you until He is finished with what He is doing. And that's what it means. The gospel is one of word, which we all like because we can put that in a box. The gospel is one of being changed, dunamos, but the gospel is also one of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit empowers us to be like Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one that qualifies us. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the gifts. The Holy Spirit is the one that trains us. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads us. And the Holy Spirit is the one that says, come, do this now, so that the kingdom of God can extend, so that you can start walking in your inheritance. And now that this one congregation is becoming two, what is happening is there is space. You see, where there was one congregation, all the positions were filled. We could bring through no more elders because too many chiefs to little Indians. You know that, and you just end up mulling around. And, uh. But now we've got space for kids' workers. We've got space for the gifts to operate, gifts of prophecy, gifts of discernment, gifts of wisdom. We've got space for people to walk in healing. We've got space for more elders to govern. We've got space for more deacons. And how are we going to do this? Irina said this morning that some of us have a fear that what's going to happen now is that the congregation is going to die. You know how we prevent it from dying? Is we allow the river of life to flow in each one of us as each one of us surrenders ourselves to the plan and the purpose of God in our lives. So whether you're standing on the bank, whether you're standing ankle deep, whether you're standing knee deep, whether you're standing hip deep, or whether you're fully immersed in the river, God is asking you, Nikki God is asking you this morning, will you go to the next level with God? Now is not the time to give me your inner smiles. It's the call of God this morning. It's what came through in the prophetic. And it's what God's calling you to. And so what I've tried to do this morning is give you a theological base out of Scripture that the full gospel is about the Word, which some of you are comfortable with. It's about realizing that you're a new creation and that you change, that you've got abilities now that you haven't used before. And it's about allowing the Spirit to innovate you and empower you and to fill you and to move you forward. And maybe you focused in on one of those, and you've kind of like been uncomfortable with the rest, or you were ignorant about the rest. Now you're no longer ignorant. And so can I ask that we just close our eyes?